Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News and we did a little substitution today, a little sixth man off the bench. Patrick Williams, my usual co-pilot, is often enjoying some much-deserved time away from hearing me rant about the AHL and all those other things. So I decided to bring in one of my favorite follows of the hockey community in general. A lot of his work is with the AHL, and that's Sean O'Brien. Sean is the co-host of the Calder Farmstead podcast, which is on part of the Full Press Hockey uh, Network. You may also recognize him as the guy that puts out a bunch of graphs, like moneypuck.com style for Calder Cup playoff odds, and he made his own analytic point share model for the AHL without further ado Sean O'Brien Sean how we doing man doing all right doing all right uh it's been quite the adventure this season I'm I'm glad that the off season is here that I've gotten a chance to breathe a little bit and relax uh Mm -hmm. but you know always happy to come on and talk AHL players and prospects and that kind of thing so let's you know for listeners that don't know Sean really just tell us a bit about yourself your connection to the AHL why you have a podcast about the AHL like what what kind of has you in this small limited space that we operate in. So without, you know, starting a, you know, I was born on this day in a log cabin and then cutting to the edges. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) I started doing hockey analytics for the SPHL uh, back in around 2018 because I lived. Calculate chiclet spit per 60 or what? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty much this like it wasn't as expansive as what I have now for the AHL, but it was a similar like we did the point shares model. Um, and it, that was not one that I created. It was uh, already in existence. Uh, Hockey Reference used it initially before like widely accessible kind of war models were available. Yeah. And it's one that you don't need a lot of data to use, which is perfect because the SPHL and AHL and ECHL don't give you a lot of stuff to work with. So it was more of the is this the best model to use? No, but it's the one that works with the inputs I have. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started in the SPHL because at the time I lived in Macon, Georgia, and that was an SPHL market. And I kind of cozied up to some of the coaching staff there and, you know, got to use what I knew about hockey analytics to try and help the team bit by bit, piece by piece. Uh, From there, I, I kind of, once I left Macon was like, well, I can expand and try the ECHL and then eventually went to the AHL as, you know, I learned more and tried to find a wider audience for my work, but I've always been kind of predetermined to stop there. um, Mostly because there isn't a lot of like analytics coverage in the AHL, Jake, as I'm sure you're aware. And there isn't a whole lot of coverage in general of the league, despite that it's the quote unquote second best league in the world. And, I kind of feel like that deserves to be something. It should have quality coverage and, you know, good analytics uh, modeling, or at least the best that's available. And that's kind of where I, I've decided to, to, you know, park the bus and and work from is, you know, the, this place in the AHL where I can, you know, uh, help be something that wouldn't exist maybe otherwise. And, um, you know, we've uh, developed that into a, a podcast um, that is, uh, AHL based, but it's also, you know, a little bit more uh, shenanigansy where we're, we like to think of ourselves as taking our analysis seriously, but not ourselves seriously. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of fun with that over the years. And we've also insisted on doing things like taking back player nicknames. So not everyone is just er or why on the end of their name. We've tried to come up with like actual thoughtful nicknames for players in the NHL. Um, we just had our big award show. So like we, we do a lot of stuff that is uh fun and lighthearted but also you know 
serious analysis. Um, but yeah, that's that's more or less how uh, I got to the AHL. I climbed the ranks like any good hockey player from literally the lowest one I could find uh, all the way up to the AHL. You referenced the point shares model, and that's how I found your work. I remember I was uh, covering the Toronto Marlies, and I think it was, I don't know if, if it was a post you had made about how they were doing or whatever, but you had the Tableau page, and I was right away gravitated to it because as someone that was following AHL team as a beat writer, you mentioned it, there's not many statistics out there. And that's what inspired me to get into the player cards with Instat, what had you doing the point shares model. Explain exactly what that is, how it's conducive to the AHL, and really the value in it that you've found so far. So, uh, like I said, the point shares model is one that existed. I think it's a spinoff of Bill James win shares from like the old, like original. Is it like war, but like less sexier? Yes, it is. It's okay. a, it is a one number summary of how much a player's a bit like point totals and scoring right. and ability on the ice translates to standings points. So like and wins above, by the way, for those listening war, I mean, wins above replacement, just to be clear, yeah. not warfare. But yes, yeah, uh, so it, it is kind of a one number summary of a player uh, and it takes different components of like a lot of basic counting stats. You'll see goals, mm-hmm. assists, uh, points, unfortunately, plus minus, but as well as it takes those in context of the team and the league that they play in. So it's not just if you mess with one part of the system, yeah. like if I, you know, uh, change a defenseman's stats on a different team, every player in the league and the league as a whole is affected by that because all of it comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is kind of an all-encompassing system, which helps. And it's not the you know best or the sexiest, uh, like a lot of the stuff that say like the evolving hockey uh, twins or mm-hmm. uh, Don Lucision or uh, Patrick Bacon or Jay Fresh or you. Like a lot of those are much better and much sexier tools for measuring uh, like player performance. But also a lot of those have NHL inputs or instat inputs, whereas I have whatever the AHL drops on their like, daily report that's those are the numbers i use and it does at least a respectable job of trying to predict or you know uh, explain player performance and it does so you know within context from the team they play in in the league so like Mm -hmm. and it matches a good portion of the eye test that i see so like when i see a player who's really excelling on the the charts for point shares they're typically players who i also see on the ice doing good things you know not just scoring goals and making assists but you know, the, the big picture of it. And that's, so there is some like face validity in that way. Right. But yeah. It's, it's basically taking goals, assists, shots, plus minus, and taking them in a like team and league perspective and trying yeah. to calculate how much that player's performance impacted his team's play in the standing. So if a player has four point shares, that means four of their team's standings points are attributable directly to them. Right. So, and, for those listening, you can find Sean's Tableau page, which has this and other awesome infographics uh, in his Twitter page, like the, the link in his bio, at Sean O'Brien 81 Sean, the other thing, too, I have to say, you mentioned how, you know, this data isn't as maybe, you know, detailed and, and micro and whatever. It's more bigger picture. But I kind of, personally, I find a use in it because I like sometimes too much is is is... is not necessarily a good thing and i think that kind of simplifying if you want to look if you're interested in nhl player you want to know really quickly how's how's your favorite prospect doing the point share seem to really kind of do that in a simple measured way 
the offensive point shares versus defensive. How do each like how does that work? So offensive and defensive look at similar inputs, but they're structured differently. So defensive point shares also uh, a defensive and offensive point shares also differ based on position. If you're a forward or a defenseman, not center left wing, but not uh, you know, but forward basically defense. So like defensive point shares for defensemen you look at the same inputs like team shots against uh, your own scoring, unfortunately, plus minus and structures it uh, and measures it a little differently. If you're a defenseman versus a forward, because if you're a defenseman, the D part of it is a little more expected of you than the the forwards. Uh, mm-hmm. And likewise, the same thing. So you see offensive point shares be more based on uh, goals, assists, uh, team scoring. And basically it's taking each of those inputs and relating it to how well you're doing on your team and how well your team is doing in the context of the league at things like shot suppression or, uh, you know, goals, assists, that kind of thing. So it's without getting into the, you know, nuts and bolts formula where I break out the whiteboard and, you know, push up on my glasses here. I think that's probably the best explanation you're, you're going to get. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's also funny too, because I think that with these type of tools, it, while you're always kind of left wanting more, the cool thing about it is, and I think I encourage anyone to kind of check it out if they can, is you can, you can see like a, Oh God, I'm going to embarrass myself. What's this type of is grid plot or what, what, when you have all these different. Uh, it's a scatter plot. Yeah. Scatter plot. Oh God. I hope I'm not no, no, no worries. Watching. So yeah, it's, it's basically a, a lot of the stuff. And I, I, I don't know if you remember charting hockey. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's, I stole a lot of his like visual look. Um, yeah, Cause I yeah. really, he was, he was the one that I kind of modeled my, my own work after initially. Cause I saw how he kind of plotted things and I was like, this looks really good. And it's really easy to like look and understand and see. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you look at the initial map and it's just like 90 million logos thrown yeah, up, all you're over overwhelmed. Them. But like you can like click on an individual team and highlight all of those players or like highlight an area and see, you know, all right, this is where my players fall in the context of the league where Mm -hmm. like this is my second line center. How good is he compared to other players in the league? And as well as how good is he, you know, on my team? And that can show you in just one click and give you a visual representation of that. So I really like that aspect of it, too. And as much as, you know, you have a great eye for this, I, sh- I should make it very clear. I'm not bringing on some computer boy. Sean O'Brien, hands down, watches the most AHL hockey of, frankly, anyone. And if anyone wants to disagree, I will publicly fight them on Twitter. This guy has seven laptops going all the time. Yes, you have your tool, but you watch a damn lot of AHL hockey. So I want to talk to you a bit today. We're in July, the dog days. We kind of talked about some of these players at certain points, but... Now that we've had a couple of weeks away from the season, let's kind of get into like a bit of stock watch, you know, like who's rising, who's falling of like NHL prospects. Camp's only around the corner. It's a couple of weeks away. So I'm sure these, yeah, these it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, I'm sure these storylines will be recycled soon, but I mean, I, with, with having, with us having time to kind of decompress from the season, maybe look at some stats compared to years, how this season was, I think it's a good time to kind of get into it. So we, we talked about going over, you know, whose stock is on the upward trajectory, who's on the downward, you know, trend for right now. Obviously, you know, we're all going to get posterized here for our takes. We're just, you know, <laughs> with where we're at right now, late July 2023, where their stock is kind of treading. And so, Sean, there's a lot of guys that we wanted to talk about. Um, but in terms of trending up, I think we have to start with Ty Cartier. Can you remember a, a prospect in recent years that had such a progressive first season as an undrafted rookie 
because not only did he make the team and was a regular, not only was he the first all-team rookie, rookie of the year, he was a big-time performer on a very deep team, and he had played in playoff games with Seattle. Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone who like just kind of jumped on the scene immediately and was like, I'm that guy. And uh, um, it, I, I would have to give that one more thought. But yeah, Ty Cartier, uh, an obvious name here, but it doesn't make it untrue. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, Ty, Ty Cartier, uh, I, I would be shocked to see him spending too much time uh, in Coachella Valley next season. He, he very much feels like an NHL player. And when you watched him pl- come back from Seattle's playoff run to play in the Calder Cup playoffs, he still very much looked like an NHL player playing in those games. Uh, he was noticeable just about everywhere. Every time his you know steel touched the ice, he was someone that was uh, you know commanding attention with his performance. And he like he was a second round pick, so it wasn't always like a given that he was going to be you know just this dynamite player right out of the word go in the AHL and the NHL. Like that was. Not a, not a given for him. Um, so to see him kind of just explode like that, uh, very, like I had optimistic thoughts about him going into the season, but I don't think anyone, and you could say that from a lot of guys on Coachella Valley too, mm-hmm. where it was like, yeah, I think everyone was optimistic. They were in our preseason picks. Uh, they were the highest ranked team uh, for a point total by us. And they still managed to overshoot that by like 13 points or something like that. So uh Ty Cartier was a big reason for that, uh, especially after, you know, um, like Andrew Podorowski went down and they needed someone to help carry the load a little more. Uh, but yeah, Ty Cartier was a, a big one. Now, for a player that's going downward, this is an interesting one. Braden Tracy. Anaheim's minor league system has been a mess a little bit um, recently, and that's, that's something you can't overshadow. But here's the reality. Braden Tracy, first-round pick of the Ducks, 29th overall in 2019, had it played in the pandemic year his rookie year went back to the dub had a pretty good rookie year but you know this year not only did not really build off of it he kind of faded away what did you make of his season he's someone who seemed like you can see moments where he has flashes where you're like that's a first round pick yeah and then they like I, i remember describing him as basically a roller coaster ride in the dark like he gives you these weekends where it's like, oh, yeah, he'll put up five points in two games yeah, he's and then disappear for a month. Mm-hmm. And then he'll come back and be like, oh, yeah, I can score two goals in a game. And then the next night I'm going to have a goal and three assists like it's no problem. And then bye, that's me for the weekend. That's me for the next two weeks. Like yeah. he is someone who just has no consistency week to week to him. Like the skills are there, but a lot of times he just looks – I don't say lackadaisical, but like he looks like he's not that interested in being the dominant player that he's shown that he can be in other moments. And it's, it's hard to like, I understand why they're still, you know, they're not throwing him away. They're not uh, trading him, sending him somewhere else, change of scenery kind of thing. Like there's still talent there. He still has a good shot, good puck skills, good playmaking vision. He's not a bad skater. Like nothing about him, nothing about his skill set screams, I should be a guy who goes three weeks without a scoring an AHL point. And yeah, to to what you said, like San Diego has been a gong show for two plus seasons now. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, them hiring Matt McIlvain will kind of help course correct that as he very much seems like a good fit for that team and that system right now. Whereas I, openly was against the idea of them hiring Roy Sommer and 
was hesitant when they uh, switched from Kevin Deneen to Joel Bouchard, whereas this time I feel a lot more optimistic and hopefully that can spark some change. But he has been one where it's the, the, the tools are there, but he wields them inconsistently and awkwardly at times. Georgi Merkulov, uh, Boston Bruins prospect with Providence, 55 points in 67 games this year, undrafted out of Russia, played one year at Ohio State, came, you know, came, joined the team last year, five points in eight games, and then this year had a good rookie season. And we have him trending upward, rightfully so, right? Like, I mean, of course. But I don't mean to be that guy, but I kind of think his season, really empty calorie for me, to be honest with you, man. I think that, you know, at even strength, he was pretty irrelevant. In, in, a, in a lot of metrics. So the player card I had for him, you, not only was he not really pl- driving play compared to, to teammates, his outputs, either shots or chances, attempts, goals, assists, like really mundane at 5-on-5. Um, you know, a lot of the, almost all the goals are on the power play. He's a riser for me, but I have serious questions about any kind of NHL upside. What are your thoughts? I think that's a very fair criticism. And I mean, the the outputs that you're talking about could describe most of providence uh no for sure totally but like i I think the like kind of come out of nowhere part of it for me you're right georgie merkulov here like i agree i i have very serious questions about his translatability to the nhl but for a guy who wasn't even like on my radar coming to the ahl this season even though he had a productive year in college from a university that i am uh contractually obligated to not name uh, he he really surprised, I think, everyone. I don't think anyone expected his offense from college to translate that seamlessly into the mm-hmm. AHL, even though like it was it wasn't a matter of how he produced. It was more of just like, OK, yeah, you were good in college, but there's a graveyard full of former AHLers who were close to a point of game in college who put yeah. it up, you know, in repeatable ways. That when they get to the AHL, it dries up because they aren't able to do the same things. Well, he was in the USHL as a 20 year old, too. Like, keep that in mind. Like, he's going in a two-year span. He went from being in the USHL to the AHL. And just, especially with when the, like, that those seasons are kind of in one, right? The 2021 season was later and whatnot. But just it just seems like that is one of the bigger leaps we've seen in a while in terms of just, you know, from point A to point B. Um, The next two that are, I wanted to just get these out of the way. Um, for trending up before we get to some more downs. Yuri Kulik, David Yurichek, I'm sure Sean's the same way on your show as it is for ours. We talk about it all year. The, these are no-brainers, right? Yuri Kulik, um, uh, there's been about, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but there has been many, you know, drafter plus one players in the AHL um, over the last, you know, 10 years. But he he's he got second most primary points, I believe, off the top of my head, um, of any of those drafter plus one players. Excellent playoffs for him. He looks yeah. like a real driver for me. And I mean, like every time I, uh, th- there are a lot of guys who I'm skipping over on the trending down portion because I give them the the credit of you're a teenager in the AHL. Yeah, like, no, you totally. are hard designed to not succeed. Exactly. And, like, you know, there are a bunch of those guys where it's like they're 19, 20 and they didn't have a great year in the AHL. It's like, yeah, because the transition from the CHL or NCA to the AHL is the hardest one players make as a professional. 100%. Uh, and the fact that Yuri, Kul- uh, Yuri Kulik just basically shrugged that off and was like, I don't see why this is so hard was genuinely impressive. Uh, I mean, just because it's obvious doesn't make it less true. I mean, same with uh, a-, a lot of guys that are we're, we're going to talk about here. Like, yeah, they're obvious ones, but like, what Yuri, uh, what Yuri Kulich did in, in Rochester this year was impressive. And he didn't even follow the usual, like, 
when you are a 19 year old and you do have some success where usually it's like you're terrible the first week mm -hmm. and then like you slowly and surely kind of get comfortable you know uh get your feet wet accept the speed of the game and by like january you you start to put it together and, and yeah. go on. whereas he very much did not that he started out, out of the gate pretty hot cooled off a little bit around thanksgiving but like for the most part was a pretty consistent score through most and, of the season and i just had though when he wasn't scoring he was still really effective and that's that's the biggest difference with him we had seth seth appert on the show it was it was kind of i think it was december january i can't remember but it was it was sort of where he had he had heated up but what appert was like really really honing in on was like even when he wasn't scoring he was a really good player and that's kind of the real mystery or the, the real challenge with that transition you're talking about, right? It's like, what are you when you're not scoring? And the fact that he was able to, from day one, be, a, a you know, capable of being an everyday player, you'd have the most raw skill in the world, but that's not easy for a lot of guys in that draft year yeah. plus one. So that can't be understated. Um, David Yerichek, I mean, this is, there's no way you can put him in Cleveland next year, in my opinion. I know Columbus has a lot of defensemen and... I don't know, but I think he is so ready for the NHL. And I'm at least a little hesitant. Like, I know I am probably, like, I'm still really high on David Yurchik, but I'm also. Oh, you probably... could still, but you could still think that he's not NHL ready next season, of course. I think he could be, but in like really sheltered minutes. I, I will say, I feel like some of what drags him down Why? is his, like, he was great on the power play last year for Cleveland, yeah. but 515, very great. Very pedestrian, but that's also but the story sucked. of all of Cleveland. Like, the team sucked. Yeah, the team was terrible five on five and could only score on the power yep. play. Yeah, and so, also I like mean, the goaltending behind him was hot garbage. So I guess that, Sean, the point I'm making, though, I guess that's a great point. You're referencing the stats I just used to, to debunk your point. So hey, fair, point taken. But what I, I guess for for me, it's like, you know, that could all be the case, but. When you uh, over the years, when you have a defenseman that controls the pace like him, like how much more does he need to do? Is kind of my line of thinking. You know, it's like he when he's on the ice and when he's and keep in mind playing twenty three minutes a night or whatever it is. I mean, crazy. He the game is flowing through him. Cleveland can be crap. They can be playing entire ECHL guys, but when Yurchuk was out there this year, man, it was crazy. It was incredible. Like I mean, I, and I know talking to players who played against him, they're like, this guy is a stud, like complete stud. And I and I agree. But I think you're fair to have some hesitancy. It's definitely not a slam dunk. I just personally would be surprised if he was in Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think he belongs in the NHL, but I think he needs to be treated with kid gloves in the NHL. I Personally, I would start him in the A and probably call him up. like Christmas call-up or whatever. Yeah, he, he would be either first call-up, depending on what it looks like. He'd be someone who I would want to not yo-yo. But then again, that's me. You know, I, I, I think the like call a kid up for three games and then send him, sending him back probably does more harm than good. He's someone that mm -hmm. like, if I called up, it was going to be for, uh, you know, a, a calendar month or more. And he was going to have a chance to stick the landing, not a like, hey, we need a body on the blue line tonight. Congratulations. You're our guy. So one guy treading downward I want to talk about, Lassie Thompson, what happened to him? Like a couple of years ago, I remember when he, because I remember when he, was it two years ago, Sean? Like 2021, was it the COVID year? When he, or the year of COVID year, right? I'm pretty sure it was COVID year, yeah. COVID year. He played like a stretch of, I want to say 15 games. I watched, I know I at least watched three of them because I remember, and they just so happened to be some of his good ones. And he looked great. I mean, uh, you know, exceptionally. I mean, he looked like he, he definitely, there, there was a player there in the future, of, you know, his game routed out. 
things are really seeming to go south. Like he he's just just another guy, Jag. You know, like the expression goes. What's happened? Honestly, for me, it just it looks like a lot of the thing. Well, a that that COVID year in the AHL was yeah, I mean it's a mirage. Yeah, like it it, it very it much seems to like hyperinflate everything. Yeah, like there there are a lot of players and and teams yeah. that stuck out that year that just as soon as things got back to normal, it all just vanished. Yeah, completely. And like some of that is him. Like he still had thirty three points this year. Um, he still scored a bunch, but like there are a lot of things about his game, especially the way he defends, that I don't think are going to translate well. Like he could be someone who plays in the NHL, but he's going to have to be someone, stylistically speaking, like Tony D'Angelo where you cannot ask him to play big defensive minutes or do things like that because he's not built for that. But like creating a little bit of offense from the bottom pair, maybe quarterback. D'Angelo creates a lot of bit of offense. Yeah. So like, keep in mind, there is that. That's why I said, you know, ish. Like, (laughs) right, right. I get what you're saying. If you're going to take like a number six defenseman to quarterback your number two power play spot and right. shelter him, I think he can handle those minutes. But how many but like, of those roles are available of the third? Yeah, coaches? there aren't a lot of coaches who have that that like fine yeah. tooth of a a comb for their defenseman. Usually, they want their bottom pair guys to be your totally. penalty killers, your you know your your minute munchers at the at the tail end of periods. But like that's that's not him. And I think a lot of the parts of his game that looked good in Finland. Uh, have not translated as well to the right. AHL that I don't think are going to translate well to the NHL. He's still only 22. So like there's runway left, but it's, it's getting real narrow. Yeah. Um, Helgi Grand's tough year for him. I think, I think it, it's fair to say this was an underwhelming year. My I was disappointed. I, I really thought he put it together, but when, when thinking about this one, cause we haven't been in the trending down category, I was kind of thinking, Yes, a lot of he's no undoubtedly trending down, but from an optimistic lens, like if if he can get a good rhythm in Philly, like this could be a really really good find for the Flyers, just given his his rep- like the size, the skill, like the raw talent that he has, and how young he is. There could still be a player there, but I mean, he, he became an afterthought, frankly, in LA this year towards the end of the year, and last year he looked really exciting, so it, it was disappointing this season. Yeah, he's he's someone that has, as we've described on the show, I think maybe specifically of him, but definitely of others. He's all tools and no toolbox. Like, yeah, exactly. Like his individual. Yeah. Th- like, yeah, it's getting crowded in L.A. And it's not surprising that they're starting to ship some of that crowd off as they're going more into win now. But I also don't think it's uncrowded in Philly. Um, you know, Cam York, uh, Igor yeah. Zamula still there. Like he's going to have to fight some of those guys for minutes. I think he's still going to get them. But like, there's yeah. a lot of, like, he has all the tangible things you want. He can skate, he can shoot, he can pass, he has good vision. But like, when it comes to things like fielding pucks off the back wall from dumpins and like turning those up up north south to, into transition, you're not good at those. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to you know activating more off the blue line and jumping down into the cycle, not great. Like, there are a lot of those little things that matter more at the NHL level than your like raw tools. And I For think sure. that's where he's just not connecting the dots. Where do you think Riker Evans plays next year? <sighs> he's listed in the upward because, of course, he had a fantastic season. Yeah. Level uh, defenseman in Calder Cup scoring. Tremendous season all around his first pro year. Where does he start next season? Let me 
quickly pull up Seattle's depth chart because I have not fo- like that's the one thing about following the AHL. I don't remember exactly some of the like NHL. Well, here's depth what well, here's what I think. I think he's with Coachella opening night because two things. One, I think that the season was great, but you know when you're talking about, for example, Ty Karche, I found his output to be different also because I mean this is you know Evans didn't get an audition like this but I like when Carchio was in those playoff games with Seattle you could tangibly see how he will fit into an NHL lineup I think Evans still needs to you know he knows the player he's going to be his identity it's kind of been morphed but I think he needs another bit of time another year frankly in the AHL to really hone in on those little details that coaches are going to scrutinize about and frankly why not have him in the A I mean, there's no pressure right now, and and he can get better, I think, at this stage of his career. I also do realize I just made an error. Uh, Ty Cartier, not a second round pick, undrafted. Riker Evans is a second. Did you say second round pick? Oh my god! Yeah, I did. I I did not. No, no. I I was like, I was pretty sure it was him, and then I I remembered it was Riker Evans was a second round pick. Ty Cartier, undrafted. Uh, Riker Evans is someone though, and looking at Seattle's depth chart on defense. I think on a different NHL team, he could probably make Seattle out of camp. But like I'm looking at the guys who are above him on the depth chart and seeing what they just got paid. Like, do I think he could probably outperform Justin Schultz or Brian Dumoulin? Very maybe. But like, is Ron Francis going to, you know, sit Brian Dumoulin for 3.15 million after he just signed him uh, so that Riker Evans can play? Doubtful. Um, but I think Evan should definitely be getting NHL looks next year. I would certainly take him over Kale Fleury as like a seventh defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think when it comes down to it, yeah, he's probably going to start the season in Coachella Valley and be another one, uh, kind of like we talked about earlier, where it's like, if you're just coming up for an injury uh, recall cup of coffee, stay where you are. But if you're mm-hmm. going to be given an actual look here, like this is a merit call up and not a holy crap, we need a body. I think he should be the guy. Like he should be someone that they give yeah. an extended look to. But well, coaches and GMs are are very uh, zig where I zag on those in a lot of cases. That's why uh, early in the season I try not to do roster predictions because I'm like, oh, that guy will definitely make you know the NHL team out of camp. And then here we are, October fifteenth, and he's second line AHL player. And it's like, yep, we see these things differently. But that's why I'm on YouTube and they're in the front office. <laughs> Caught that right. Um, Brendan Brisson, you have him as trending up, you were saying. Why? Yeah, a little bit off the beaten path. He is uh, someone that uh, reminds me a little bit of Tyson Forrester, but he's a guy with just a wicked shot. And his playmaking, I think, developed a lot this season. It was always something that was a work in progress, but I think you got to see some of that go from being more theoretical good playmaking to actual good playmaking he still has some like junior hockey tendencies where uh, and i reference this a a couple of times in other places on our podcast where like you'll see guys who are coming out of junior and it looks like the rink to them looks like just a series of obstacles they have to deke through um and and you see a little bit of that with brendan brisson still but it's getting out of his game but he's someone who has shown good progress off puck and away the puck supporting the play at the ahl level that's rare for someone who's as young as he is. Yeah. Granted, his dad is Pat Brisson, and he's been growing up around, you know, Hall of Fame NHL players most of his life. Yeah, we had him on the show. He's played mini sticks with Tavares in the basement. That's some good instincts there. And then Jacob Perot, uh, another another similar situation to Braden Tracy, Anaheim <sighs> prospect, had a promising 
year last year, promising 2020-21 season, the COVID year, got a little cookie, played his first NHL game last year, just like Tracy, drafted a, the late 20s, but in 2020, had, had a tough go this year, like everyone else in San Diego. But tell us about Jacob Perot in particular, his, his situation this season. He's another one where, like, a lot of tools, but no toolbox. Like he mm. still has a shot that absolutely just flies off his stick like a missile, but he struggles to find places to use it. Like he is very much a one trick pony and it's a great trick, but he's finding like, he's not having success being yeah. uh, supporting the playoff puck or right. uh, like he's never really added pace to his game or a- any kind of other like NHL caliber skills. Like he's not a very good playmaker. He's not good defensively. He's a average skater, but he's very like north south in his skating. He's not someone mm-hmm. who's like looking to build speed behind the puck or will use linear crossovers to like cut through the neutral zone. He very much just gets pucks, skates to net, shoots. And like mm-hmm. the shooting part of that is elite. Like he has an NHL caliber shot, like a very right. good one. But the rest of his game just does not complement him. And mm-hmm. His his ability to kind of find spaces to get open to to shoot from good areas like it has not developed. So like yeah, he can still you know uh, be the the cowboy that's at the state fair that knocks you know all of the milk cartons down. But when you put him out there you know uh, to rodeo, he can't do it. You got good analogies. Uh, we'll, we'll do one more before we uh, wrap this up. Raphael Lavoie, you have him trending upward, which is true. But do you really see him becoming an everyday NHLer for the Edmonton Oilers next season? Next season, no. Um, He is still very much a work in progress, but I feel like he's made a lot of progress on that work. Uh, I thought he made a lot of little adjustments that helped him find his scoring touch this past season. First year in the AHL didn't go so hot. Last one, I feel like he really, like he grew from that season. He learned things of like, hey, the stuff I used to do in junior, like just take defenseman wide and then cut to the middle that actually doesn't work against grown men and professional hockey players. So he's done a good job of like adding elements to his game. He's become better off puck and using uh, his ability to kind of time entrances into the high danger areas away from the puck to be able to capitalize on like defensive breakdowns. Because unlike in junior, those don't like once a defense breaks down, it typically doesn't stay broken. Whereas, you know, in, you're even high level juniors. Like when you break a defensive structure, guys just go scrambling and it becomes, uh, you know, 30 seconds of uh, untracked play. Whereas in the AHL, like one guy gets out of position, you only have that passing lane for like a handful of seconds before they realize what they did, unless they're like a bad AHL team. Um, But like, I I thought he's, he grew a lot. Like he's trending up. He's not, he's still a project player. And I think there's still a lot of things that need work in his game. But like he set the tra- he reset the trajectory to get to be an everyday NHL player last season. Like he still has to keep working and making progress, especially in things like transition. But I, I think him taking the steps forward to be a-, a professional hockey scorer was important, and I think he did that last year. Like he's not the the dunker for you know oh definitely going to make the Oilers out of camp. Uh, yeah. I don't think he does. I think he spends the entire year in Bakersfield minus yeah. maybe. Uh, uh, all right, let's see what you have, kid. Here's five NHL games sure. on the third line. But I think he he took a leap that you wanted to see from a player in his spot and his age, and I think that's worth noting. I'm a, I lied. I'm going to ask you one last okay. one. Matthew Robertson, trending downwards. <sighs> Do you think he has NHL utility for the New York Rangers? 
Yes, but probably not in the way that we all thought he would. Uh, he's still, I think, a good defensive defenseman. Yeah. But I think the offense is never going to be there at this point. Uh, and I was hoping that it would be something he could work on and build up. Like, I didn't think it would transition well from, uh, you know, his uh, his draft year. But, like, I, I thought it would be better than this. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe it'll take him some time to develop and to kind of find his rhythm and get with the speed of the game in the AHL. And nope, that that really has not been it. Like, he's he's someone who's going to be in the NHL, a bottom pair defenseman who plays kind of shut down minutes and be, I think he at least has a chance to be above average at that, but I don't think the offense ever comes. I, I think he's going to very much be, uh, you know, uh, like what Martin Farivari is where like uh, with a more dynamic partner, he could, do, he can, you know, hold his own, but like, he's never going to score goals or make assists or do much more than, like make a nice first pass out of the zone and defend the slot. Well, I, I think that's pretty much his upside as an NHL player. And even that, like there are a lot of guys that do that. Like those kind of, those kind of defensemen grow on trees and free agency. Well, so Barry, Barry Trot said to the predators, find me a star, right? I can get you a, a third line or a bottom Perry D anyway. So you don't yeah. no need to, to get those types of players that way. Sean O'Brien here, Calder Farmstead. Thank you so much, man, for joining us. This was a, it was a blast. Plug your stuff before we, we sign off. Tell us where we can look at your charts and yell at you for your picks and all that stuff. Uh, so the easiest way to find my Tableau page is direct link uh, bit.ly slash data dump and chase, all lowercase, all one word. The links to everything uh, that you could ever want from me is uh, on the Calder Farmstead's Linktree page. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the Calder Farmstead. That also with all the way at the bottom has a link to my Tableau page, but that has all the places you can listen to and watch us uh, talk about the AHL. We're currently on like a bit of a, a break um, as you know, the season is long and there's not a whole lot to talk about in the AHL besides kind of like players that looked like last year and that kind of thing. Um, but we're, that's pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at my personal Twitter account, although it's very little hockey. It's mostly uh, cult pop culture ramblings. Uh, that's at Sean O'Brien 81. But uh, most of my interesting hockey takes are at the Calder Farmstead, uh, either on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much everywhere you can find me. All right, there you have it. That's where you know where to find the stuff. Sean, Again, man, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, that's it for today's show. I got to say, we got to get Sean back on next season with Pat here because the way that I, you know, Pat and I have worked together for a long time, how we balance each other out, I think Sean would add a great dynamic to our conversations, especially when we're assessing development of prospects. Anyways, we'll see you guys in the not-so-distant future. Camps are on the corner. We'll have some summer episodes, maybe some guests coming up as well. But until then, we'll uh, we'll leave it here.